Lord, we, we don't check our true selves at the door when we come to worship. Our pain, our frustration, our disillusionment, perhaps our apathy. We don't check that at the door. We bring our real selves to you into this space because you love, that's the self that you love. You love us, warts and all. And we come because of that. And I just ask that you would help us to listen to your words, to your people, perhaps who are hurting, who are probably exhausted. We need you. Renew us, Lord, with your grace this morning. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you're visiting us today, again, welcome to our church. We're glad that you're here. Uh, We're in a series of sermons this summer, uh, walking through uh, the Psalms of Ascent. And those are Psalms 120 through 134. Those 15 songs were sung by Jewish pilgrims as they journeyed up to Jerusalem three times a year for three annual feasts, the Feast of Booths, Feast of Tabernacles, and Passover. Not that you care. Um, But these were different annual feasts that people from all over would come for. And they would always ascend to, to Jerusalem because Jerusalem, the city, was the highest point from all around. And so we would, they would always journey up. These songs that were sung as they journeyed were literal. They were singing as they climbed, but they were also metaphorical. They were meant to teach God's people to live upward toward him, to trust him, and to live in his way. And we're spending the summer here um, because after a most disorienting year, we, these songs can actually reorient us to life with God. Last week, we saw how the sojourn up with him begins with a turn, begins with repentance, saying no to the world, the ways of the world, the self-centered way of the world, and saying yes to the way of Jesus. It begins with a turn. And Jesus, unlike other religions, this person doesn't just tell us directions on how to get to God. He actually takes us there through his life, death, and resurrection. And he journeys with us through his Holy Spirit as we journey up through this life. And so with a song of repentance, we began our ascent with God. And a few weeks ago, you may remember Mother's Day, I know it was a long time ago, um, Patrick preached on Psalm 121, um, which was a song about how the pilgrim way is anything but easy. Sure, it is filled with some, some peaks, some moments of jubilation and joy, but it's also filled with moments of heartache, dryness, sorrow, desperation, the dry valley. And when we need help, we turn not to the things of the world, not to the hills, as the psalmist says, but to the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He is our providence despite everything. And today, uh, we're turning to another song in these songs of ascent, And the lyrics explain why whenever we meet someone who is truly flourishing, and we all want to be that kind of person, we want to truly flourish as people. When we meet someone like that, part of their weekly rhythm is gathering for worship with other Christians. 
Someone who's truly flourishing cannot do so without what we're doing here. And this song tells us why. But I want to say, before we jump in, my pastor friend uh, in Kentucky, he, he shared this. And, and I wanted to share it with you. Because I think after a year like we've had, um, where many of us find ourselves in a sort of what he called a, a cross section of weariness. And so check out this diagram and see if you can relate to this. Maybe you can relate to being anxious about the unknown, restless for something different, sad for what we've lost, longing for a deeper connection. Maybe um, you can relate to all of them today. just want you to know that if you need renewal, if you need healing, and if you really want to flourish, this, this is part of the way. This is part of what it means. Why? Not because of us, but because of the person that we're meeting with. And in his presence, there's healing and true flourishing. So we need to do this. It's an important habit for us. Even after a year where it was anything but normal to do this. We only just started meeting in here, what, two or three months ago. Um, and so it's been quite a disorienting year for worship. And yet I want to just encourage us um, to see why this is so important. So we're going to look at this uh, song in three simple movements, what worship is, why we might avoid it, and then the reasons uh, that we can gladly participate in it. So what it is, what we're doing here, why we might avoid it, and the reason why we can be glad to do it. All right, with that, I want to invite you to stand once more. After that, you'll be able to sit for, for quite a while, so don't <laughs> worry. Um, this is the reading of God's Word, Psalm 122. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Their thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, you may be seated. So first, what gathered worship is. Uh, in his famous commencement speech in 2008, the late author David Foster Wallace uh, said famously, he was a self-professed atheist when he said this, everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And similarly, a Christian theologian remarked, worship could be thought of as every single human being's responsive whole life giving to someone or something. Every single person. Giving of our whole selves to someone or something. Everybody is a worshiper, therefore. So we could give our whole life 
to Jesus. Some of you would say that is who you are. That's what you're doing. That's who you worship. That's who we worship here on Sundays. It could be some other religious figure for some of you. It could be your career. You give your whole life and attention to your career, if you're honest. It could be a significant other. It could be your kids, your whole life devotion to them. Or more and more these days, people give all of their devotion to themselves, to ourselves. But wherever we are on that sort of spectrum, we're all worshipers, every single one of us. But corporate worship, what we're doing here today, is not basic to everyone. It's obvious, right? This place isn't full. (laughs) But when we gather, when we gather with other Christians to adore God for who he is and what he's done for us in the gospel, we are being drawn into a unique story and a unique framework for all of life, built around God. Uh, The longest day of my life, it's a kind of a tie between the days, the day my... uh, daughters were born, my twin daughters, and the day I took, um, my wife and I and some friends took my niece and my two nephews to Disneyland. (laughs) So I'm not sure which day was longer, 14 hours in Disneyland. It was unbelievably long. (laughs) We got there, we were the second car in the parking lot. My brother was adamant about getting there first, so we were the second uh, and then we left at fireworks. So we were there from like 7 to 9. Oh, man. But why do we put ourselves through infinite lines, paying infinite money? Why do we do that? Because we, and mostly the kids, we want them to enter into a whole new world of Disney. That was an Aladdin joke. Um, we want them, we'll pay whatever we need to, to enter the world of Disney, where it's real, where you can see your favorite princesses or heroes. And something similar um, happened when God's people would gather in Jerusalem for these annual feasts. And I want you to look at verses 3 and 4 with me to see that. Uh, Jerusalem, it says, built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. So the psalmist says that Jerusalem was a city that was bound firmly together, and it was a city where all the tribes of Israel would come up together. So Eugene Peterson, he writes this, The city itself was a kind of architectural metaphor for what worship is. All the pieces of masonry fit compactly, All the building stones fit harmoniously. In worship, all the different tribes functioned as a single people in harmonious relationship. So while we, while you and I come to this place from various contexts, we're all here for the same reason, for the same person, saying the same things at the same time. Later, we're going to say the creed something that Christians have always believed. Christians everywhere. We're saying the same things, even though we come from very different places. And that's a mark of Christian worship, gathered worship. Because we're being drawn into, again, a unique framework, 
a unique story built around God and what he's done for us in Jesus Christ and who we are as a result. So worship's a framework, but it's also a command. Look at verse 4 again. It says, In gathered worship, we obey God's decree to praise him. So a decree to worship may sound um, a little bit inauthentic, disingenuous, right? I'm being ordered to worship. But being told to worship is reasonable if it's decreed by the God who made you, a God who saved you, and a God who provides for your every need. So we, but, you know, again, even though it's reasonable, we don't always do the reasonable thing, do we? We have to be trained. We have to be formed into gratefulness. Um, my wife and I have spent the better part of the last two years teaching my twins, my twin daughters, who are three, uh, to say thank you after someone does something for them, right? Thank you. Say thank you. Okay, what do you say? Say thank you. Um, and, you know, we had to teach them that. Like those words, not just the vocabulary word, but the posture of gratitude is not innate. We have to form that in them. We have to train them. Say it again. It's so, so uh, really, like you forgot already to say thank you. Um, and got gathered worship, what we're doing here, is commanded because we need to be trained to not only take into account all that God has done for us, but also to have a space to be grateful, to be thankful, to adore him for all he is and all he's done. So it's a decree, it's a framework. And finally, the Pilgrim song ends in verses 6 through 9 by teaching us that gathered worship is a place where we grow in God's peace and security. Look there with me. Um, the word uh, pray in verse 6, you see that at the top, um, it was actually not used ordinarily in temple worship. It was, it's actually better translated, ask. And you would hear it um, more in everyday life, like if you're asking for directions or some help uh, with you know, some groceries or something. And, and why is this significant? Uh, Eugene Peterson helped me to see this. Worship does not satisfy our hunger for God. It whets our appetite. Our need for God is not taken care of by engaging in worship. It deepens. It overflows the hour and permeates the week. We are no longer living from hand to mouth, greedily scrambling through the human rat race to make the best we can out of a mean existence. Our basic needs suddenly become worthy of the dignity of creatures made in the image of God. Peace and security. So what we receive in gathered worship is meant to overflow into the rest of our week. And this word, this Hebrew word for peace, you may know, is shalom. It means, well, it's really thick with meaning. It's, it's not something that you, we can easily define, but probably the best word that we have that gets sort of close is completeness, wholeness. So the peace that we are offered to God when we gather here in his presence together is not a partial peace. And it's not a feeble sort of tranquility or serenity that when you go out and you hit traffic, it's already gone. Um, it's a complete peace. It's a complete wholeness. We get a sense of this peace each time we see in the Gospels Jesus heal someone. 
He brings them back to completeness, to wholeness. He doesn't just treat symptoms like a doctor normally does. He brings us back to fullness, to flourishing. And the word security in verses 6 and 7, this means a carefree rest regardless of circumstances. Don't you want that? Regardless of circumstances, a, a quiet confidence in God. And that comes sitting under and enjoying the mercy of God. You can have that. We can have that when we're in his presence. A carefree rest, regardless of whether or not our life is going sideways right now. And for some of you, it is. But this is what we're offered in his presence. And this kind of peace can spill over into the rest of our life. To sum up, this song teaches us that gathered worship, it's not basic to everyone. It's not. Because it offers us a unique framework, a unique story for the rest of our life. And it, it's a command. He tells us to come. He wants us to come. He wants us to be in his presence. And it's also a place that spills over with his shalom and his carefree rest because of his mercy. So if that's what gathered worship is, why would we avoid it? Why would we skip out and miss out? And that's my second point, reasons that we avoid gathered worship. I want to begin by um, just acknowledging that some of you are watching from home, listening later on. Um, welcome. We're, we're happy that you're tuning in with us. We miss you. Um, we hope that you can come back soon. But I wanted you to hear me say that if you're, if you're missing church today, um, if you're missing gathered worship in person today, for health reasons, um, that's a legitimate reason to miss church. I just wanted you to hear me say that because this whole sermon is about gathered worship. And for those of you who are at home um, because of different health issues, concerns, we understand. And we're going to continue to make this available to you um, as long as we need to. However, many Christians who used to worship in this body haven't come back. And it's not just because of health concerns. There's a lot of other reasons why. And sure, worship is a habit, and we can get out of the habit, and I, and I totally understand. You need to work back in, and that's what many of you are doing. That's what all of us are kind of doing. You know, I wasn't used to coming back here either. It's been a little um, different, but it's so good. But I want to just, you know, say that up front, that a lot of research has been done since the pandemic began, and even before, um, as to why committed followers of Jesus may refuse to come or only come seldomly. And that's what I want to talk about this, this, um, in this point here. And the first reason people can, um, or excuse really, um, people can make for gathered worship is self-directed spirituality. Self-directed. I don't need your help to find God. I can find my way on my own, thank you very much. And this self-directed spirituality, it's not just in Asheville. It's actually crept its way into the church and even to our church. I've heard it here too, plenty of times. But I want to ask you a question. If self-direction 
was the way of Jesus, why would he have spent so much time and given so much attention to discipleship? Walking with him together. And not only that, why would he have given his people his great commission to do what? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. For lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Discipleship is front and center of his mission to the world. And so when you don't come, when many Christians skip out, they're missing his whole mission of walking with him together. The second reason we can make for missing uh, gathered worship is a failure to see a direct benefit to our lives. A failure to see a direct benefit. I used to go, but I'm just too busy right now. I hear that a lot, and I get it. Look, I'm busy too. And it's easy for me to say, I'm a pastor, I have to be here. <laughs> it's a little ironic me talking about this up front, but I hope that we can all, I hope that we can all um, come around these things together. You know, we, we do make time for the things that we value most. We do. We make time, even if we don't have a lot of it. Things that are important to us, we'll make time for it. And many Christians don't see the value in being here week after week, especially after an exhausting pandemic. And again, I get it. It's been a tiring season. And, but the, hear me say this as a pastor, part of this is on us as leaders to help you see the value of being here week in and week out. The value, not just for your Sunday, not just to give you a spiritual high or something like that, but more importantly, to worship that overflows into the rest of your week. The joy of his presence, the joy of his mercy, overflowing into all of life, a liturgy for life. You know that we, we think about our worship service as telling the gospel story, and we want to give you a framework, a liturgy for the rest of your life. To think about, why do we confess? Why do we receive his mercy every week? Why do we pray in this way? Why do we pray in the way he taught us to pray? Why do we confess our faith together? Why do we listen? All these things are supposed to form in us um, a liturgy for the rest of life. Another reason we can, um, that Christians make to miss Sunday worship is that, and this, um, this is something that has sped up during the pandemic, and that is simply a seismic culture shift. A seismic culture shift. Being at home for all these months and growing used to that is one thing, but being asked to come into a space centered around a God who made us and saved us and tells us that we are not our own, that we were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify me with your body, with your whole self. That grates against our modern sensibilities more and more and more with each passing day, with each passing year. Less and less people are interested in uniquely Christian worship. So with those seismic shifts, it makes sense that our church, again, is less full than it ever was. But before I move to my final point, I need to say that the problem is not entirely out there with the world or with Christians that have chosen to 
not come back. Perhaps we are no longer the church for many people in our community because of our failure to be the church to them. Maybe we're not the church for them anymore because we haven't been the church to them very well. And I'm pointing the finger at myself first as one of your pastors. But hear me, worship is not something that we cause. That's God's job. God calls us here. He woos us here with his grace. He justifies us. He sanctifies us. But we can either encourage or discourage worship. Coming together to praise him. We can encourage that or discourage that. With the way that we live, with the way that we speak, the way that we operate. Some of the ways that we discourage gathered worship is by being self-absorbed the rest of the week. And even on Sundays. Only talking about ourselves. Another way we discourage gathered worship is when we play church with one another. When we make others feel like they have to put on a face, bring their ideal self to church instead of being beloved sons and daughters of God. No matter what. We discourage Sunday worship when we confuse the kingdom of God with a political ideology. We discourage people coming back when we don't center ourselves on his kingdom rather than a political idea or movement. We discourage gathered worship when we make church all about me rather than all about Jesus. But thankfully, God is gracious to us. And our many failings as a church and as leaders, he's gracious to us. He forgives us. And he can set us back on the path with him. And many of you, I just want to acknowledge this, I haven't yet. Many of you are happy to be here. And thank God for that. You don't know how encouraging you are to me as one of your pastors to see smiles, to see tears of joy, to see hands raised in worship of him. That encourages us so much. But if you're lacking joy on Sundays, if someone had to drag you here, how might we learn to echo the psalmist who said, I was glad to go up to the house of the Lord. And that's my final point, the joy that we can have in worship. I want to ask you, think about this for five, ten seconds. When was the happiest moment of your life? Think about that. The happiest moment. For some of you, it was the day that you started following Jesus. For some, it was the day you were married. For others, the day your child was born. Still others, the day you were finally cancer-free after a long, hard battle. I assume that most, if not all, of your happiest moments were not by yourself. They were surrounded with people that you love. And this gives us a glimpse into what God intends for worship to be, gathered worship. We were made, we were saved to participate in a unique relationship with him. At the center of the Bible, 
is a unique relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He is the center of the Bible. He is the center of Christianity, not us. Not even repentance or church or the Bible itself. God, existing in the most unique relationship, three in one. Father, Son, and Spirit. From all eternity, the triune God has enjoyed a relationship of mutual self-giving love. And Jerusalem was built to orbit around this God of love. And centuries after King David wrote this song about enjoying this God and enjoying worshiping him as a nation, a Jewish carpenter from Nazareth spent time in Jerusalem. And he began teaching that he was the only way to the Father. That he and the Father were one. And that if you tore down the temple, he would rebuild it in three days. And God's chosen people, they mocked him. They hated him. And they crucified him for it. However, the good news of the gospel is that on the cross, this unique relationship that he had enjoyed from all eternity was extended to his enemies, to you, to me, to whoever calls out to God for mercy. That infinite love that has always existed, that is at the center of the universe, was extended to you, to me, to us, Don't you see, church is not about me and you. It's not about the church. It's about us participating in this triune God of grace, this community, this community of a ragtag group of people is invited into the most central relationship in the universe. That's what church is about It's not about me, this knucklehead up here. It's not about our music. It's not even about the Bible, as important as the Bible is. The Bible tells us the story about the relationship, this unique relationship that we have been invited into by grace. The gospel is not just that your sins are forgiven. They are. It's that you, because your sins are forgiven, through the work of Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, you're invited into this community, this communion with God forever relationship, unique relationship is why we're here. It's why we're different or we should be. Even though we fail, it's because of him that he on the cross made us, received us as, as adopted sons and daughters. Galatians 4, 5, that he might bring many sons and daughters to glory. Hebrews 2, 10. And he rose. He rose from the dead so that we, his family, might be drawn by his spirit into that unique life in the triune God. On Sundays, we worship and we enjoy our unique relationship with the Father through the Son and by the power 
of the Holy Spirit. On Sundays, we enjoy the life and love of the Trinity. And to the extent that we make church all about Jesus and what he has done for us, to that extent, will our worship be joyful? Will we be glad to be here? Before I close, three phrases. It's going to go quick, I promise. Three phrases that can help worship be an even happier place for all of us. The first one, I love Jesus. <laughs> when we take our eyes off of him, we inevitably fall back on ourselves, our opinions, our interests, our um, desires, and guess what happens? It often drives us apart. But when we, when we put ourselves, our focus on him, when we love him more than we love anything else, it brings us together. We rally around him despite our differences. So let's share our love for him, telling stories of his love throughout the week. The second phrase, I love you. I love you. Those three little words go a long way in making church feel like the family that it really is, the community that it really is. Do you know that our senior pastor, Patrick Lafferty, says this to me? Patrick tells me he loves me, which is very different um, than I'm used to. That's not a phrase that I heard before I came here very often at all. And guess what I tell him back? Thanks. <laughs> no, I tell him I love him back. And you know what that does? I'm a young, again, knucklehead pastor. He's very seasoned, an amazing uh, man in so many ways. You all know that. When he tells me he loves me, the competition, the fear that I've experienced in other churches is melted away. You know why? Because it's relationship. He wants to be in a relationship with the new pastor. And he doesn't have to, but he wants to. And that changes the dynamic. Let's say this to one another more. I love you. I love you. And finally, I love our church. I love our church. Not my church. It's not my church. It's our church. It's really, it's his church. It's us. And well over a decade ago, my friend in uh, seminary, we were in the library, because that's all you do in seminary. Uh, you're just in the library all day. Um, it's really boring. Um, he said that, and it stuck with me. I love our church. And it stuck with me because I'd never heard it before. I'd never heard anyone ever say that about their church. That's not the case here. I've heard many of you say that. But I think we could say it more. I love our church. But here's the best thing. Nobody loves our church more than Jesus. And he is why we can be glad when we worship. He is why can be happy to be here. Amen? Amen. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together.
It's all about you, Jesus. It's not about us. We thank you that you have um, invited us. You invited us. We don't deserve to be in the relationship that you've enjoyed forever. But you didn't want us to miss out. You didn't want us to be separated from joy himself, from love himself. Our sin does that. But your grace brings us in to the fold. We have been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of your beloved Son, Father. And for that, we give you praise. Holy Spirit, come and do a work in us. Flawed, prideful, self-righteous, far too often people. Humble us, Lord, to be people of love, to look and act and speak like Jesus. I can't do that without your Holy Spirit, so Holy Spirit, come. And in these few moments remaining, help our worship to be joyful. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Um, we're going to say a creed, and nothing says joy like a creed, right? Um, no, actually, the creed is a wonderful, a wonderful collection, a summary of what Christians everywhere have always believed. This unites us with Christians, not only throughout time and space, but throughout history. And so we, we stand, and if you would, please stand, and let's celebrate what, we, what it is that we believe about the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. And then the last line, we believe in the communion of saints. By the way, which is the only part in the creed that we can see with our eyes and smell with our no noses. The other parts of the creed we can't see. But we can be the visible expression of his kingdom. And so this is why we believe in it. As imperfect as we are, we're loved. And so let's confess this together as his church. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. The third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Um, we are so glad you came to worship with us today. And I hope to see you again uh, next week. But before you go, receive this good word from Hebrews 13. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant 
brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace. Have a great week.